We have a wonderful, comforting passage before us, taken from John 13 and John 14. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may the, may the words that you give to Andrew be seeds which will find in our hearts good soil, bringing forth the actions which will prove our faith will be a witness to our faith and confirm that we are your children while at the same time bringing you the glory that you so richly deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's amazing how much we use maps. I don't know if you guys like maps or not. I was the kid in the car who was always like studying the atlas as we were traveling different places, trying to gauge how much further we had to go and uh, trying to uh, just figure out the whole thing. There are maps for electrical engineering. I know nothing about those kind of maps. There are maps of imaginary worlds that authors create. I mean, it's just so much in terms of maps. Of course, much of what we use today in terms of maps are the GPS that we have on our phones and we're going somewhere and you type in your destination, it tells you exactly uh, how many miles you have to go, gives you an estimated time of arrival and at that point it's a game, you try to beat your estimated time of arrival, at least I do, uh, that's... Uh, um, 
Yeah, in fact, when we were in Costa Rica uh, with the Suans and Josiah Morgan when they were living there, the, the map that they use there is not so much, uh, it's not Apple Maps or Google Maps, it's called Waze. Uh, you can use that in, in America too, it's not quite so popular here, but uh, in Costa Rica it's called Waze. And it's interesting because that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about this next I Am statement where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm, I'm going to focus in this morning on the idea of Jesus as the way for a couple of reasons. One, it, it's, it's the answer to the question that Thomas asks here in this passage. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I, I am the way, uh, the truth, and the life. It's not that we can separate one from the other. Uh, I am the way to truth and, and to life. All of these things kind of flow together. Together, but specifically, Jesus is answering the question, how do we know the way? I am the way, Jesus says. The other reason I'm going to focus a little bit more on way versus the others is we've talked about those others uh, a little bit more throughout this series. We've talked about the life. We looked at John chapter 20. It's the reason why uh, John is writing this book, so that by believing we may have life in his name. We talked about in connection with John 10. Uh, Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. We talked about truth when we looked at John 8. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. So these are some themes that we've encountered already. But I want to focus in on the idea of way. Uh, some of you know the name Eugene Peterson. Passed away recently, uh, pastor, scholar, uh, author, and uh, he actually wrote a really good book reflecting on Jesus as the way, called The Jesus Way. And... Um, he, he makes the comment in there, I don't know that you could empirically prove this, but he says in his experience uh, as a North American pastor, the, the metaphor of Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor uh, in the Bible. Um, it's an interesting statement. I'm not exactly, uh, you know, as he sort of lays out his case for that, I wouldn't necessarily connect that. But it's a very common metaphor in the Bible. You saw that we encountered it, you know, Psalm 143, Psalm 27, Psalm 1, the way of the wicked will perish, the way of the righteous will flourish. Uh, it's, it's all throughout the Old Testament, this concept of of the way and following God, God being the way. Jesus says in Matthew 7, there's a narrow way, there's a broad way. Uh, in, in fact, the early Christians uh, throughout the book of Acts, you can see a number of places where, where they're referred to as the way. Like that, before they were called the Christians, they were called the way. So this is such a, a big picture thing uh, but something that we can easily miss. Maybe it's because it's so obvious, or, or maybe it's because we misunderstand it, or maybe it's because, as I think Peterson is suggesting, we're just in so much of a hurry, and, and we, we miss the ways that Jesus is the way. <clears throat> and so that's what I want to do this morning, particularly to a group of people like Jesus was talking to with troubled hearts. Uh, if you saw that in, in chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, let, let not your hearts be troubled. He, he's speaking to his friends, 
and, and their hearts are, are troubled. Why are they troubled? Well, they're troubled because in chapter 13, verse 33, he said, I'm going away. And, and where I'm going, you, you can't follow. Uh, and, and he's saying this to a group of people who have quit everything. I mean, they have laid down their life. They've laid down their livelihood. They've, uh, you know, separated themselves to fam- from families to some degree in order to follow Jesus. They said, we're all in Jesus. We're following you. I'm going away and you cannot come. <laughs> uh, that, that would be troubling. I mean, if you were in a business venture with somebody and they said, yeah, that, that worked for a while, but I'm out now, you would be like, whoa, okay, we've got to rethink this. This would be troubling. It's troubling for hearts that, uh, you know, just some of the things that Jesus says in this discourse. This takes place, John chapter 13, all the way through John chapter 17 is what we know as the upper room discourse. And Jesus is saying a lot of things to them. He's saying things like, the world hated me in John 15 verse 18, and it's going to hate you too. That's something that troubles our hearts when we know that the world is going to hate us. He says in chapter 14, verse 29, and we also hear uh, echoes of this in Luke, uh, the upper room discourse there. He says Satan's going to come, and Satan is going to trouble you. Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that you might not fail. So that's troubling. You know, Peter's own confession here in John chapter 13 where Peter says, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And Peter says, or uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So there's all of this that is contributing to the, to the troubled hearts. And, and we know that. We know that as disciples. Like, we know the difficulties of walking with Jesus, whether it's the world, our own flesh, the devil, all of these ancient enemies, they continue to trouble our hearts. And it's into this that Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. I want to invite you to come and to find yourself in the way, on the way. I want you to find yourself trusting me, believing me, resting in me. Two things I want to highlight for you, or we'll make it a two-way street. Uh, the, the first way is the way that Jesus reveals the way from the Father Uh, And then the second thing is the way that Jesus is the way to the Father. Uh, So both of these are really, really important. When we think about the way, it's not just sort of a moral code or religion or, you know, religious exercises, anything like that. There's much more to it, and and I hope that my, which I admit already ahead of time, my inadequate reflections this morning, I hope that they'll just help us to, to touch into this a little bit more deeply perhaps than we have before. So Jesus is the way from the Father. A couple of things to highlight for you. First of all, just the personal nature of this. I'm sure you picked up on this as you were reading through. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you know, I am going to prepare a place. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Jesus wants to be with his disciples. 
uh, he's talking about knowing him. Have you been with me? Have I been with you so long, he says to Philip uh, in verse 9, and still you don't know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. There is a very personal aspect to Jesus' being in the world with his disciples. This is the whole point uh, of uh, the incarnation. Uh, From the very beginning, John has said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, God, this, this, uh, this one who is the source of all truth, before Abraham was, I am. He's become flesh and he's dwelt among us. That is absolutely amazing. You know, when we stop to think about the ways that, that Jesus is the way from God, the very first thing we have to say is it's personal. And, and this is one of the things that separates Christianity. And again, I don't, I don't know where everybody is and their, uh, you know, sort of understanding, appreciation of who the Lord is and how He works in our life. I, I know we're at different places, but I think this is one of the things that is so appealing about Christianity is its personal nature. It's not just a set of ideologies. It's not just a moral code to follow. Christianity is inviting you into a relationship with God, and not just like we go into a relationship with God, but He comes into our world, and, and He has come in our direction and it's just so, so powerful. There's just such a difference between knowing about someone. I mean, you can read the scriptures and you, know, you could have the sense in which Jesus is the truth. And, and it could be very distant from, from who we are as people uh, versus knowing somebody personally. This came home to me. Uh, we were living in St. Louis in 1998. Uh, some of you are baseball fans will know that 1998 was significant in terms of the home run chase, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. This was pre-steroid investigation and all of the stuff that sort of tarnished some of that later. But we were all, you know, captured by this, you know, this going back and forth, trying to beat Roger Maris's record. And, you know, McGuire was sort of mythical. He had these big Popeye arms and he was blasting these moonshots out. We had the opportunity to be at Bush Stadium for several of those. Uh, one day I was in a coffee shop. I was studying, getting ready for a sermon back when you could actually sit in coffee shops and do that kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I was, you know, in the middle of reading something. I look up and there is Mark McGuire standing there. We had a Bluetooth in. This is early Bluetooth. His whole ear was like shining. And I was like five feet away from him. And I knew a lot about him. I'm a baseball fan. I knew the stats. I knew how many home runs he needed yet at that particular time. Uh, I knew about his family. I, I knew about sort of some of his stuff from his younger career. But I also realized at that point that I was so far from knowing Mark McGuire. Like, I couldn't walk up to him and say, hey, Mark, how's it going? You know, how's your son Matthew? What's going on with that? You know, you got a few more home runs. How you feeling about that? You know, I, there, it was such a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. And that five feet in that moment just made that so clear to me. And some of us have that with regards to God. We, we may know a lot about him, 
but it's not the same as knowing him. And when Jesus is saying, I am the way, one of the things that he's saying is there is this personal, personal way in which I am coming into your world, and that is how I am longing to be known, and that's the type of relationship I am inviting you to have. The second thing that Jesus reveals to us about this idea of the of God, you know, the way from God into our world is the fact that it's a way of of pain. Uh, you see, Jesus says at the end of chapter 13 there, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. And then he says, you know, I am going to prepare a place for you. Uh, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? What, what is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about the very reason that he came into this world. Like the work that Jesus has to do is that he has to go to the cross. He has to become sin. This is why his soul, his soul was troubled in 1227. This is why he was sweating the great drops of blood a little bit later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's because he knows that the way from God to man is one that involves pain. And Jesus willingly steps into that place in order to be the way. He knows he cannot avoid it. He knows that there is no way around, there's no way over, there's no way under. It is only through the cross. That is the only way that Jesus can come from God to man. This is one of the things, of course, that is so challenging to us uh, in this North American context in the 21st century. Uh, we, we, uh, we are sold a bill of goods. What is held up before us is things like comfort, security. Like these are the way, uh, prosperity, all of these different things. But it's not the way as, as Jesus reveals it. Jesus says, my way my way is the way of the cross. My way is going to involve hard things. One writer puts it this way, when Jesus rightly claimed his authority as the Son of God, we hung him on a cross. We stripped him of his power. We mocked him. The Lord of all subjected himself to our false authority, but by his subjection, he advanced us from death to life eternal. This is the way that God executes his authority for our sake. As Jesus said, while you had assumed that it was going to be that way, it turns out it's actually this way. The way of the cross. I am the way. Part of what we learn as we reflect on this is that Jesus' way is going to involve a willing laying down of your life. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I, you know, I don't know exactly what that looks like in your life. I don't know the areas right now that are uh, open to you to lay down 
your life. Maybe it is in a relationship, uh, a disagreement that you've had. Uh, Maybe it is uh, in service to somebody who needs service in a particular way. Uh, Maybe it's just in uh, loving a friend, loving your spouse. Uh, We're always invited to lay down our life, understanding that uh, tied up with the Jesus way is going to be this idea of pain. Uh, there's going to be this idea of willing suffering. Not, not just the kind of suffering that we go through because we live in a broken and fallen world. I mean, we all have that, right? But this is willing. Jesus said, I, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own authority. Uh, that's the Jesus way when it comes to this um, when it comes to this path. The third thing that I will just mention is the way of promise. So we, we have a personal way, the way of pain, and then the way of promise. I, I love this passage, and this whole section. I don't know what you're doing in terms of Lent, uh, how you are reflecting on it. You, 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 can, you can do a lot worse than reading through the Upper Room Discourse and, and just uh, soaking in Jesus' last words to his disciples. They're, they're so full of understanding and pathos, and uh, they're just so full of, of promise for us. And here Jesus is promising. I mean, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. We've already talked about that. He says a number of times in here, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you. And then he says in verses 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for me? He's saying, you can trust me. You know, if, if it were not so, would, would I have told you this? You can trust me, and where I am going to prepare this place, I will come back, and I will receive you to myself, and I'll take you to that place. The imagery here uh, most likely is coming out of the Jewish wedding uh, feasts and and ceremonies and how they handled marriages in those days. Uh, The way that they would work on it is there would be an agreement, uh, between uh, two families, and we can go back to this if you like kids. We can start making agreements and arranging marriages. Just let me know if you need any help with that. Uh, but um, uh, there would be an agreement between these two families, and at the appointed time, uh, the, the, the proposed bridegroom uh, would go back to his house, and he would prepare a place where the bride and the bridegroom would eventually live, and they would be connected to the father's family, and they would raise their family, all of those different things. Uh, She would wait at her house uh, until that was done, and then he would come and get her. We see some of this ceremony and some of Jesus' other parables as the bridegroom is coming, and, you know, the, the ten virgins with their lamps, you know, they would call out, he is coming. They would come, they would have the wedding celebration, would go on, and then they would go back to the place where the now new groom had prepared, and they would live together in that place. And that's the imagery that that Jesus is using here. He's saying, I am the bridegroom. You are the bride. 
You know, this is part of the personal. I, I intend for us to be together, and I promise you that I am going to do this. I promise you that you can, you can trust me, that I have prepared this place, and, and we're going to be together. So right now, we're in the stage where Jesus is going to prepare this place by his death through his resurrection, the work that he's done on the cross. But now it is almost finished. And Jesus is going to come back for us in order to bring us into that place. These promises are, have been so rich to Christians throughout history. And, and I hope that they have a richness for you as well. The, the future aspect of what Jesus is promising us here, that he will and we can trust him. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Uh, Jesus is full of promises, which then allows us to follow Jesus uh, as the way to the Father. So this is the second way. You know, the, the first sense, the, the road is flowing this way. But now let's think about the ways that the road flows the other way. Uh, we're, we're no longer going south, but we're going north. What is the, the way to Jesus? What does that involve? Three things for you. Imitation, animation, and invitation. Imitation, very clear. Look at verse 12. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. If we believe in Jesus, we are called to imitate him. We are called to have our lives be like him. This is why we're Christians. We're, we're little Christs. That's what that means. Uh, there is a sense in which we, uh, we well, there's not a sense. I mean, we, we are called to follow Jesus, to make our lives look like his. Now, as I've, as I've said, the Christian gospel is so much more than just simply imitation. And if you're stuck on that, then you've got religion and you don't have relationship. Uh, so there, it's so much more than that, but it's not anything less than that. I mean, we are absolutely called as people for whom God has come to rescue. We're called to shape our lives like Jesus. Peterson says... Um, uh, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character, shape, and direction by the one who calls. To follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid but always derivative from Jesus, formed by the influence of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing in the way that Jesus is doing it. So we, we need to be students of the Word. Uh, we need to understand. We need to look at Jesus' life. We need to understand all of these things. And, and that's what we're called to shape our lives like. That's what we're called to look like in every facet of our living. So we ask ourselves, well, what does Jesus' life look like? There are some really interesting things when you just stop and think about Jesus' life kind of in a, I don't really know how to say this, in kind of like a non-spiritual sort of way. Uh, you just think about like the actual ways in which Jesus lived his life. He, he occupied a, a really relatively small part of the world. 
most of his ministry was done in the north around the Sea of Galilee, traveled down to Jerusalem, you know, maybe uh, a, a total journey of 100 miles. But you're, you're looking at just a, a really small uh, swath of life. I mean, I traveled farther than that yesterday. Uh, in order to, to get to and from various places. Most of us have traveled far more than that in our lives. Jesus filled a, a relatively little space. He interacted with his family, with his friends. Jesus didn't seek glory. Uh, in fact, John chapter 6, when they came to make him king and ruler, he said, nah, that's not my way. That's not what I came to do. Jesus didn't seek out the influential people of the world. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes. I mean, Jesus' way was a, a, very, a very real, uh, very honest, authentic. It was a way that interacted with uh, people just very different uh, than a lot of the ways that we try to maneuver often in our own lives. You know, thinking to get ahead, what we need to do in business, how we need to, who we need to associate with, all of these different things. Jesus was filled with compassion. You think about the, the nights that he spent healing late into the night. Jesus' life was marked by prayer. He was, the, he was the second person of the Trinity. He was God, and yet he would get up early in the morning to seek out his Father. That's one of the reasons why, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but you know, each year from Christmas to Easter, we go to a gospel, and we study a gospel because we want to see what our rabbi is like. We, we want to see how he lives his life. We, we want to pay attention to that because that is what disciples do. They, they look at their teacher, they look at their rabbi, and they say, okay, is my life being conformed in this way? Again, Peterson says, uh, Jesus set out to establish a comprehensive way of life that would shape the behavior and capture the imagination of his disciples. He had no intention of working out a private righteousness with a few people, withdrawing from the mainstream of worldly life, and creating little enclaves of love where people could cultivate peace with God through study, prayer, and good works. The Jesus way is meant to be lived. In all of the ordinary places of life, your interactions as, as parents and kids, as kids with parents, husbands, wives, friends, employers, uh, customers, uh, whatever your relationships are in your work, in your study, in your rejoicing, when you feel grumpy, you know, all of these different things, uh, Jesus is saying, Walk like me, study me, know me, allow that to capture your heart. Here's the second thing that I think is really, um, just really important in this and, and really encouraging is that as much as Jesus calls us to imitate him, he also promises us to 
that he will animate us. He'll, he'll bring us alive. He'll, he'll give us the vigor and the strength that we need. You see that in, in verse 12. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, uh, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Have you stopped to think about chapter 14, verse 12 recently? Uh, I would just encourage you to, you know, let that soak in your heart. What, what does that mean? You know, Jesus is going to the cross to save humanity. Uh, he is going to be resurrected, and yet somehow he says greater works than these will my disciples do? I don't, I, I mean, again, I don't think I can communicate a fraction uh, of what that might mean. But there is something there that Jesus is telling his disciples. He's saying, I know that following me will be hard. Remember, he says, where I'm going right now, you can't follow me. I'm going to my death. This is something that I have to do alone. But later on, you will follow me. And these disciples did follow them. Peter was hung upside down on a cross. Thomas was beheaded the continent of India. John was sent to, a, uh, uh, sent to a, a, an exiled prison island. I mean, they followed Jesus in the way of pain. But he says, I will animate you. I will give you life. There is going to be a sense in which the things that you do in your ordinary, everyday life, as you interact with parents, as you interact with your kids, as you walk through the trials that the world has, as you wrestle with temptation, as you go through all of these things, greater works you are going to be involved in. And that just is something that really blows our mind. There's so much about this last discourse that seems so counterintuitive. You know, in chapter 16, verse 7, for instance, Jesus says, it's good for you that I am going away. I mean, how many of you haven't thought, my life would be so much better if I had the actual second person of the Trinity right here living in our house? Wouldn't I mean, we feel like that would be the bomb. That would be the best that we... But Jesus says to his disciples, no, it's actually better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, then the helper will come. The Holy Spirit will come. And he will take up residence in you. So it's not just that we have Jesus uh, with us or next to us, but we have Jesus in us living in us, you know, mediated by the Holy Spirit, we are brought into that, the fellowship of the triune God in ways that we cannot even imagine. So, brothers and sisters, I, I just encourage you. I, I know that you've got tough paths to follow. We have a tough path even this week. We all have tough things to engage. But the promise that Jesus says as we imitate him, as we follow after him, that he is with us and he animates us in greater works will we do 
it's better for you that I go away because if I do, then the helper will come. And all of this is just incredibly, incredibly inviting. I mean, the whole tenor of, you know, chapter 13 to 17, Jesus' upper room discourse, he tells them some really, really hard things. The world hated me, it's going to hate you. You know, Satan is coming and he is going to mess with you. He wants to mess with you. Uh, He tells the disciples some really difficult things, but he does it in such a way that is so gentle. You know, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He's asking them. He's inviting us as his disciples to rest in him. He's inviting us to trust his promises. Why? Because he is trustworthy. I I love the way that Hudson Taylor put it. Uh, A commentator uh, is quoting Hudson Taylor, and he says this, Faith needs adequate grounding. However, if it's to experience serenity and it's to overcome our troubled hearts, the effectiveness and strength of faith are bound up with the greatness and the dependability on the God in whom the faith reposes. Have faith in God. Believe me means hold to God's faithfulness. The emphasis here is not on getting your theological uh, uh, T's and, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed. The emphasis is on God and our, uh, the confidence that we have in resting in Him. And that's the invitation that Peter has said. He's like, Philip, have, have I been with you so long and you still haven't seen me? The word that he uses there is not sort of the ordinary word for see. There's two words for see in Greek. Uh, one is blepo, and that's like, oh, I see the clock over there. Or I see the exit sign, you know, that kind of seeing. But then there's the orao, which is to like open and all of its derivatives. And this is, this is to see and to comprehend, to, to really know. You know, we have that in English. We say, oh, I see. You know, that's, that's that second Word And what, what Jesus is saying, what he's inviting you is to see with the heart. Not just simply to see with the eyes, but to see with the heart and to rest and to trust and to know that whatever is troubling your heart right now, Jesus is the way that we can uh, repose in, that we can follow as we go by him. But what does that mean to see with the heart? Or what does it require, maybe, is a better way to ask it. Here's what it's going to require. And, and Lewis, you know, it captures this so well in his, uh, in his book, The Four Loves. He says, if you really want to love somebody, and that's what Jesus is inviting us into. It's, it's a relationship of love. If you really want to love somebody, you're going to have to be vulnerable. Here's how Lewis puts it. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure that you keep your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies, 
with little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And what we see in Jesus as the way is Jesus' own vulnerability in coming to us. He stepped in and he made himself flesh. He took off, so to speak, careful of heresy here, you know, the divinity uh, in order to, to make himself flesh, in order that he would be vulnerable, that he would, uh, he would enter into our weakness. He became sin for us. And Jesus is inviting us into that same space. Will you become vulnerable with me? And then our hearts can come together. This is one of the reasons why we confess each week in our service. We don't uh, have a time of confession because we need to be re-forgiven each week. Uh, We don't even have a time of confession because if we don't confess our sins, Jesus won't forgive them. The, The reason why we have confession is because it's a relationship. And it's our opportunity to come before God week by week and say, here are the areas where I've blown it, I am blowing it. Here are the areas where I'm trusting in myself rather than you. Here are these areas where I'm trusting in these other things rather than you. And I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I want to be vulnerable. I want to lay them out before you. And we hear Jesus speak back to us And he says, my child, I know. Peter, I I know before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. But that does not change the fact that I love you. And that I'm going to that cross to die for you. And this is what we remember every time we come to this table. When we come to this table, it's, it's not a ritual act that endears us to God. When we come to this table, it's our vulnerability on display. When we take the cup, when we take the bread, we're saying, I couldn't do it. I could never do it on my own. I am weak, I am broken, and I need someone to stand in the gap for me. And when we lift high the cup of salvation, as David says, when we take that bread, we hear Jesus say, yes, I became vulnerable for you. I became broken. I stood in that gap. And, and by the Holy Spirit who ministers to us at this table, you know, our relationship is forged afresh. Our relationship is galvanized. We walk away from the table with the firm assurance that we are, yes, more broken and wretched than we ever would have imagined. But we are more loved and we are more accepted because of who Jesus is and what he has done than we ever would have dared hope. And so with that, I invite you as believers to come to the table this morning. 
uh, to take your elements. Jerry, Brian, I think have some elements. If you don't have them, just raise your hand. They'll make sure to get them around. Got it on each side, Jerry, so pay attention. Um, If you do not know Jesus in this way, I hope you sense throughout the service that we would like nothing better than for you to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, our, Our greatest desire is that in your brokenness, in your vulnerability, Uh, you would recognize that Jesus comes and says, I am the way, I'm the truth, the life. Uh, And if you have questions about that, we'd be happy to answer them, to pray with you, uh, to help you sort through your questionings. Uh, If we don't know the answers, we'll look them up with you. Uh, But we really want nothing more uh, than for you to know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Because he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. You can't come to the Father through religion. Uh, So if you don't know Jesus, you know, don't take the elements because they can't save you. It's not religion that saves us. It's that relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, and we would love for you to know him. Will you pray with me now as we set aside these elements for God's work in our life? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for what it means. Just as you ate that meal with the disciples uh, that night in which you were headed to uh, Gethsemane, where you were headed to the, uh, on the path that would eventually bring you to the cross, you meet with us today and you remind us that, yes, our pathway is hard. Uh, the way is marked by pain. Um, and, uh, but yet it is also filled with promise. You've, you've asked us to trust you that you would have told us if you weren't going to prepare a place for us and if you wouldn't come back to get us, but you have told us that this is the path that we are on. So uh, strengthen our faith through this meal. We, we pray that uh, as believers uh, we would sense the animation of the Holy Spirit, that we would live this week with confidence that even in the midst of our weakness, which we feel so acutely, that you are working in greater works even than these you are doing. Father, we do pray for friends that may not know you, may not be walking with you in that way, haven't had the opportunity to make that profession of faith in front of a body of believers. We pray that you would work on their hearts Uh, even now as they uh, recognize that there is something going on here which they are not a part of. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this table. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would use this as a seal to our hearts. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. The night in which he was betrayed, I encourage you to take your elements at this time. The night in which he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread And breaking it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. May you too take the bread and eat, remember, and believe. the same way, after the supper, our Lord took the cup, giving thanks again. He gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup 
It's a new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. David said, I will lift high the cup of salvation. David knew he was a sinner, but he also knew that his God was so much greater. Take and drink, remember and believe. Will you join me in a prayer of thanksgiving? Oh Lord, we thank you for this table. We thank you for the reality that it is for us of, of what it means to be on the way of Jesus. Lord, we pray that throughout this week we would not be so consumed with the destinations, uh, the many places uh, that we are hoping to get to, that we do not miss all of the things that you are wanting us to see along the way. Father, we understand that, that life is uh, difficult and filled with challenges, that hearts are, are troubled like the disciples were. We face the world, uh, our own flesh, the weakness. We face uh, the devil. But Holy Spirit, we thank you that we have the promise of your presence, and, and we ask that you would uh, continue to work that into our hearts and lives.